If you're the mother of an autistic child or if you have an autistic student in your classroom or even if you serve any child that struggles, this episode is for you. Now, my own son was diagnosed with autism and sensory processing disorder and a slew of other diagnoses when he was only seven years old. Today, I'm joined by a mother whose daughter was diagnosed at 18 months old. We share our struggles, we share our triumphs, but most importantly, we bring you our hope. As mothers who need to add money to the family budget, we thought we only had two options. Get a job and put our kids in daycare or start a home daycare. But what if there was a third option, a better way that would allow you to create a consistent income and make a difference in children's lives while still staying home with your kids? I'm Joy Anderson, and this is the Preschool All-Stars Podcast, where I'm going to share exactly how myself and thousands of other moms have created successful preschools so you can do the same. Are you ready? Let's go. Welcome back to the Preschool All-Stars Podcast. I'm your host, Joy Anderson, and with me today is my good friend, Chantal Laverne. She is the creator and owner of FunSensoryPlay.com. Chantal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. So tell us how you got involved in this. I mean, you've been doing this for quite some time. Where did this all begin? Well, actually, I uh, created this. It all started with a Facebook page, which started around this time, actually. It, it could be my anniversary today, and I don't know, but it was early January. So a bit of a background in last November, so not this November, but the November 2019, my daughter was diagnosed with autism. And that was a really challenging time for us, for me. I was suspecting autism from an early age, uh, probably 13 months. And um, I had a gut feeling. But when they told us that it was official, I cried every day. I cried for two months because I didn't know what this meant for her, for us. There's so much uncertainty. And then, all you know, by chance. But I, I don't know if it's a, it's it's I don't know what it is, but it was it's amazing. I had the opportunity to take a course um, from Rachel Miller um, to build an audience. And this opportunity came and I was like, oh, I don't know. I have too much going on. And then I felt like, you know what? I need something for myself because I was totally devoted to my daughter. And I was like, okay, I'm doing this. And then I just said, you know what? I've been doing a lot of sensory play because she had issues and we were already in therapy. And I've learned through therapy that even if your child doesn't like a certain sensation, the goal is to actually desensitize them by playing with them more, right? So if they don't like Play-Doh, you need to do more Play-Doh because at some point they will get used to that sensation. I was doing the opposite. I was basically avoiding everything she didn't like before that, before I understood this whole how like how it all works, right? So I launched it in January and I followed the course and I picked sensory play because that was something that was, you know, uh, a daily topic for us, I guess, in our lives. And I just went with it. And then it became my saving grace because I stopped crying, you know, because I had something else to focus on and not just sitting here worrying about what the future may be like for my daughter. It wasn't easy because I was, you know, managing a page, a very fast growing page. 
I didn't know where I was going. I had no plan, really. And um, here I am a year later. um, And it's been quite a journey. It's been amazing. And how old is your daughter now? She just turned three. So she is she is a real preschooler now. Yes. (laughs) And she was how old when she was diagnosed? 23 months. Okay. So you're going on about a year now of having this experience with your autistic daughter at home. And what does daily life look like for you with her? Um, It's getting better. I mean, I am so happy that we, I'm so happy that I pushed. I want to say this because this is something that I lived. My doctor didn't believe that she had autism. We got a referral when she was 18 months because there was delayed milestones. So he referred us to a pediatrician that also does um the process is different everywhere right like in canada we have a specific every province is different in the states every state is different like so here we we had to be referred from our doctor to a pediatrician but he referred me just on the basis of that she had delays in a sense it's a blessing because we skipped the waiting list for autism because the, they they were meeting us just because she had delays. And then when she walked in, she saw that I had my speech therapist report, my OT report, like everything. And she looked at me and she said, well, hold on. She's like, why are you here? And I said, I suspect my daughter has autism. And she didn't tell me. So she went through it. And then at some point she looked at me and she said, I can give a diagnosis. It's pretty clear. Like, I don't have any doubts. And then I start crying, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, I just want you to know. She's like, I had no idea we were doing this. She's like, your doctor never mentioned autism. And I was so pissed. (laughs) I was mad because I'm like, he didn't believe me. But at the same time, it's like, thank you for not believing me because we might still be on the waiting list. So in a way, you know, the stars were aligned where we were able to get in faster We got the diagnosis. We got access to so many awesome programs that, and I have to say, like I, the last year has been living, I, people would tell you that that's all I would do is live for her. Um, I would do therapy. I would read. I would do anything and everything um, to help her. But the progress has been amazing. She went from not really paying attention to us to now wanting to play with us constantly, which is very draining, but it's amazing. And she went from that to now giving kisses. And, you know, she's actually interacting with us. She's starting to say some little words and sounds and, you know, but sensory wise, you know, that's also been amazing. She's now climbing everywhere, which was an issue for her. I guess she was scared of, you know, there's, there's so many things we could talk about, but it's been challenging ever since she was born, (laughs) because she was highly sensitive. But I can say that I'm starting to see what the therapy, which is actually all play based, you know, this is what is amazing to me, is that I never realized that all the play is therapy for kids. And I think as parents, we miss that. Teachers, I think they they know because they've been trained, they, they have the education, they had the classes, they had the workshops, you know, But as parents, I don't think we get that. We don't get that when you're drawing with your kids, you're not just drawing. And when you're playing with Play-Doh, you're not just giving them something to do. 
you're actually giving them something that they can learn. They learn how to touch. They learn how to manipulate things. It's good for, anyways, we could go on and on. But I think this is what I want to do with my page, my audience, is like really teach parents how to use sensory play as therapy. And it's not always easy, right? So, um, yeah. So the last year, to come back to that question, the last year has been amazing because I have seen my daughter go from here to here, you know, and we're just climbing up. It's it's amazing. I still have fears, though. You know, I think, and you might relate to this, because you don't know what the future looks like. And she's going to start school. I don't want to cry. Ugh. She's going to start school. And I don't know what that's going to look like for her. So there's a lot of emotions because I want to protect her. I want her to speak. You know, I want her to be able to enjoy the world like everyone else. And I want her to know that, you know, no matter her differences, she is loved. And I just hope that that transition is going to go well. <laughs> um, but yeah, so anyways, I'm not thinking of that because that's, we have some time to go. <laughs> I think that's, that's a true, true statement. Every mother has those concerns, you know, and especially um, my own son also is on the autistic spectrum and, you know what does that look like? And, you know, he has crossed to the other side. He's now in third grade. So we've seen the transition there. Let me, let me back up just a second because I know that we have educators listening and we have moms listening. What are those signs that we're looking for in those early childhood development skills? Like what are the signs that we're, when we're in a course, we're not doctors to diagnose, but these are warning signs we should still look for to, like you said, go talk to a pediatrician about and see if there's something there. What are those things that we should be looking for? Well, as a mom, looking back, this is what I see even as a baby. Um, I was told as a baby that she was high needs um, because she was highly sensitive. And this was a thing. And to research that, you know. So one thing is that car rides were hell. She hated car rides, hated them. She would cry a lot. The, the car rides, and I, I feel bad because... <sighs> I feel as a mom, we always feel guilty. And I know that screen time isn't good, but the screen has saved our sanity and it gave us a life because the only way we could go for a car ride, I don't know, at one point we can never go anywhere. And I, I don't know, she was about three months old. And I said, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know what to do. She would get like blue, purple, name it. And I just decided, you know what, I'm just, I don't know why it came to mind. I said, I'm going to try the iPad. So I put cartoons, you know, you know, the high contrast cartoons. Yep. I put that on and I just put it in the back seat and she stopped and I cried. I cried all the way to town because I was like, I can't believe that we can now take a drive. And then we can never bring her, you know, we would put her in the shopping cart and she would lose her mind. So I had to use my cell phone. And again, the only way we could do the groceries is if I put cartoons on. Any movements. Um, and then as, as she grew up, I mean, it was more, oh, and then sensory. Like, I'm pretty sure, I know she's very high on the sensory um, sensibilities. So, like, we couldn't whip a garbage bag. She would start screaming. Uh, we couldn't cut a, um, a piece of foil. 
little things that we thought were so extreme. Like, you know, this is, this is regular things. But for her, it was like the end of the world. She would shake and cry. But I never thought I was just like, oh, she's sensitive, you know, because that's what everyone would tell me. And then after she turned one, there's one night where she was crying during the night and I would go and grab her. And you know how as a mother, you want to feel like you have that comfort where they touch you and they stop crying and they just settle down. Well, she wasn't. She was freaking out. She didn't want me. She, I couldn't. I went to bed crying a lot because I couldn't bring her comfort. The only thing that would work was cartoons. So at 3 a.m., I would have to sit in the living room, put the cartoons on. She would stop crying and I would be able to hold her for a little bit, then stop them. Then I was able to put her back to bed. And I was like, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. Like there's something more. And then I would research and then some people and then I learned about the first thing I learned about was sensory processing disorder. And I was like, okay, this is a possibility. This would make sense, you know, because she has a lot of sensory issues. And then she wasn't at 15 months. She wasn't speaking. She was babbling, but she wasn't really speaking. Oh, another thing. They don't smile. They look at you and they don't really smile. Like I look at a lot of her baby pictures and it's like, some of them, we were lucky to get a little smile, but as she grew older, it's weird. It's like it became a blank, you know, blank stare. Anyways, and then 15, 16 months, she was still, she wasn't talking. And then at some point she started saying mama, which was amazing. And then 18 months came around and it stopped. She regressed. And to me, that was a trigger. And I'm like, okay, this is it. I know this is happening. Let's go you know, and that's when my anxiety kicked in. I was like, but yeah, it's like delayed milestones. Like she didn't walk before. I think she walked around. I forget now I have a blank. Like she was walking for a while, but she had to hold on to stuff. She would get up, she would walk in between her toys, but she wouldn't walk by herself. I think she started walking closer to 18 months, which was late. So she was a late walker, which is another sign. And then sensory. And then as you grow up, like as they grow up, there's different things. Like just this week, I was telling a friend because she was saying that her son was freaking out at the dentist. And I didn't want to say it, but part of me was like, okay, this is a sensory issue. And so I asked, I said, does he have anything else? And she's like, well, yeah, he's picky. He doesn't like to eat certain foods. And and then you start asking people and then they start telling you stuff. And you're like, ding, ding, talk to an OT they might help you, right? And my heart, I have to say this, I know I can't save every kid. I know I can't. But my heart breaks when a child gets diagnosed at eight, nine, ten. There were signs, but no one saw them. You know, they just thought that they had ADHD or something else. And they could have had so much help because now I see the impact of all the therapy with Emily and how her life will be different because we've put so much effort into it. We were lucky. And I mean, I look at these kids that are really struggling and with reason. They actually have a reason. They're not being brats and they don't, you know. And she, because we've said stuff to her, because other people have also helped, you know, she just said that she's connected with the OT at school and they're going to look into it and they're going to look at all of this. And that makes my heart happy because this kid is going to get the help that he needs to feel better, you know, 
because they have so much anxiety. You know, probably that these kids suffer so much and in silence. And I, I have to say this, maybe I know this, maybe I, I hold this to heart more because that was me as a kid. I was the sensitive child. I was the child that couldn't skate, couldn't, for the life of me, I couldn't ski. I couldn't, ride, riding a bike took me forever. You know, so many things. I couldn't do a somersault, but no one saw this. You know, and even my mom, sometimes she feels bad. She's like, I had no idea. I had anxiety and I was like a kid. I was so young, but like no one saw it because it's not, it's not like it's written on their forehead, right? So anyway, so that's, you know, part of me has that too, as a mandate, like I, I'd love to educate parents. And what hurt, what's sad too, is that some parents don't want to see it, you know, and I get it, it hurts. And it, it, it really flips your world upside down, because now you have to run to all these appointments. And you know, this because it's hard. And you, your life becomes a little bit challenging, a little more. But in the end, your child is going to benefit from this and his life and your life too, right? Sorry, I, I went on all of that. That was no, that was amazing. All of that. And I think what we have, like everything they just talked about, especially remembering to try to get that early detection. Now I will say everyone's child is completely different in the way that they will present with autism or being on the autistic spectrum. And so that's really important to know because my own experience, like my son was three and he was completely normal up to that point is so, so I thought, right. He's my last kid of five and up till three, but he was the happiest baby I ever had. He never cried. That should have been a red flag. You know what I'm saying? But me, five kids, I'm like, oh, what a joy. He never cries like ever. That should have been a red flag. Uh, second, just like you mentioned, you know, the delayed walking, right? I think he was about 15 months talking. I don't even remember when he started talking. My parents would always say, well, you do all the talking, you know, you got five kids, everybody does the talking for him. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you know, just, yep, that sounds right. You know, you just don't yeah. even put two and two together. And I was an owner of a private school. Like I know kids, but up until he was about three and a half is when, I don't know, something switched in him. I literally don't know what caused it to this day. Uh, but from that point on, it was quite frankly, it was a nightmare, right? You, you go through this experience of like, what is going on with my child and how am I not enough as a parent to help soothe and, and to calm and all these things. But for anyone listening, I want to make this point. I want you to know that just be like, if you hear some things that uh, resonate with you, like, wait, this sounds familiar with my own child or, or something's off. If you feel like something's off, that's your cue to go talk to a pediatrician. Just talk. doesn't mean any diagnosis are going to come out of it, but when you feel like something's off. And the other thing is too, as a preschool owner and educator for those 10 years, I thought I knew enough to be able to help him. And I, you know, I would tell other people, oh, you might want to, you know, go talk to your pediatrician. We're seeing some behaviors in class. Are you seeing it at home? But for my kid, he was, he was all the behaviors and none of the behaviors. Like if you looked at, you know, you go research autism, you go look at sensory processing, you look at Tourette's, you look at OCD, you look at all these different things. He had a handful of them and then he didn't have a handful of each. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was like, no, I know. Which one is it? And then because you get so confused, you say, well, then it must not be any of these. I don't know what it is. And you just think that you nobody's going to figure this out. You're not the doctor. Go speak with the doctor. It didn't take 
it took us a long, a long minute. Uh, we finally, and like you said, it takes a while to get into these doctors. We were on the wait list for about a year and a half. Finally got in. He was about five and a half when we started getting on the list. I think he was seven before he was diagnosed. So wow. you're talking about late diagnosis and how many years ahead of time. I am guilty as charged of being the person who was so confused by so many different behaviors. So if you if anybody's listening, I mean, this is like so true to our hearts as, as moms. If anything fills off with your kid, yeah. that's a great time to go have that conversation. Yeah. And I think there's also this stigma, maybe, I don't know if that's the right word, with autism. That because you see autism and you imagine a kid that's spinning and that's rocking like this and hitting their head. That's what you see. You see a kid that doesn't look at you. So eye contact is, it is a big sign. If you're, if your kid can't hold eye contact with you, that's a sign. If they don't, my daughter, you know, you say, you say that your, your parents were saying, oh, you do all the talking and, you know, and he's not crying. He's a great baby. Well, Emily would play by herself a lot and people would come over prior to COVID and they'd be like, oh my God, you're so lucky. You know, she plays by herself. She's so independent. And I was like, yeah, you know, do you know how, how like bad I feel about that? Because that wasn't normal, you know? And if I knew at that point when she was 15, 14 months old, whatever, that she was sitting on her mat and playing by herself and not paying attention to us. If I knew that that wasn't normal, I would have started then to do what I've done for the last year, you know, but to me, it was just, oh, she's independent. You know, she, she loves to play by herself, which is great, but it was a sign, you know, there's so many things and you'll talk to different parents and, and what's, also scary about autism is you don't know where your child is going to fall on the spectrum and your child can start here and then in three years they're going to be here and then they can regress and then and then when they give you all that information it's enough to have a depression because you just don't know you're you live in fear of what could possibly happen just you saying that three and a half your son changed my my daughter's three so that triggered me it triggered me to think that, oh my God, she could still regress, you know, and I'm doing everything in my power for it to not happen. But we don't know, like, it's such a, but yeah, you're right. If, if even if it's one thing, just being a very picky eater, if you're, if your kid only eats three things, that's not normal. You know, they, yes, they might be picky, but they should be eating more foods that's a sign if they're avoiding so many sensory like things like play-doh like you know different cessations and they're really avoiding them then maybe they have spd you know maybe they don't have autism maybe they just have sensory issues but they could still get help for that from an ot you know and maybe that's what i was i think i'm not sure but i think i was i think i just had sensory issues growing up but if i had an ot and if i had people to help me you know, and I would, life would have been different for me as a kid, because I always felt different and out of place, because I could never do what the other kids could do. And that made me that affected me, it affected my self esteem. And I don't want to cry again. But and that's what I don't want my daughter to go through. And I want to, if you know, I want her to accept herself like she is, and to be proud of who she is, and that she doesn't need to do, you know, anyways, 
but yeah, you're totally right. You know, there's many, many signs, but even if you only see one or two, I think it's worth investigating. Absolutely. And neither of us are saying that any of these signs means your child has autism. Of course, we're not. But we're coming from experience, uh, from our own experience and seeing others go through things as well. I think, too, when you're looking at symptoms and, and behaviors that are going on, you're you're right on the point when you said, but my, my child isn't stimming. They're not rocking. Uh, they do have eye contact with me. Like, I had those exact things. I was like, well, because of that, because that's what I thought autism was, he's not autistic, even though he had all these other things. And then I'd look at sensory. And this is a huge one that I didn't understand until I went to an OT. And everybody who's listening, if you're confused, an OT is an occupational therapist, somebody to help them with all of these um, behavioral uh, developmental skills. And so it was so eye-opening to me because I would look at all these sensory things and I was like, okay, I assumed that if you had sensory things, you were all of one. So for instance, if you had issues with light and sound and touch and whatever, it was always like it was too much of any of them or just a couple. But I never knew that some kids are actually sensory seeking and sensory avoiding at the same time with different senses. And I was like, that was that was insane when I found out that I can have my son who is sensory seeking with his auditory. So he will make noise like none other. He has the loudest voice. He His laughter is to the roof because he is trying to gain more sense with his hearing. And yet with, um, with his uh, touch and other things, he'll avoid a lot, right? But you can have in different senses, a sensory avoiding or a sensory seeking. And I was like, it all makes sense now. Like it's not just one thing. Yeah. And, and that's, I had that post on my Facebook page and that's what a lot of moms were saying. We're like, well, mine is like in the two, like he has one in one, but he has a few in the other. Like, and I was like, yeah, that, that's exactly what I realized. We just went through the um, speech therapy with Hannon. So I received the parent coaching for 14 weeks, which was amazing. And this was part of it you know, because they wanted to see. And then I, I question it because I'm like, well, my daughter is mostly a seeker, which really surprised me because I thought she was an avoider. And then the, the OT made me see that what my daughter was avoiding, it wasn't necessarily her sensory. She had a fear. She had a fear of instability. She had a fear of climbing. She would never do write-ons. Like we bought all the write-ons in the world for her to learn to walk and stuff. She never touched them. She would scream like she would. There's no way in hell we could get her on there. And now, like I just bought her a dino rocker for her birthday and she rides it, you know, cookie in one hand and let's go. You know, she's she's happy. So now she's it's like she came over that fear of like being unbalanced because we've practiced her a lot. We've done multiple things. And now it's like, okay, let's go. She climbs on the kitchen table and, you know, she's fine. So now she's pretty much a seeker. But when it comes to like certain, like I bought some um, faux, um, some faux, you can call it faux, I guess. It's some foam soap <laughs> in a can. And I would, you know, foam it up in the bath and, and she would be like, you know, and she would be touching it. And she's like, Oh, I don't. And then, and then she goes, but she, you know, it's like, she comes back and she's like, I want to, but it, it's kind of weird, but I keep doing it. But you can see that she wants to, but she's still learning some senses. She's still struggling with, 
But yeah, totally. Like they can be on both sides, which is, yeah, there's so much to learn about this, right? Like there's so much I still don't know. And I keep learning all the time because I listen to podcasts or I listen to other moms or, you know, it's, it's amazing. And I think as moms going through this, it is the most isolating feeling ever to be in a doctor's office, hearing these diagnoses and saying, what does that mean for the rest of their life? And especially what does that mean for tomorrow? I mean, cause we're living it right now. I love what you've done, putting together funsensoryplay.com to be able to to gather all of these amazing moms who are going through things or teachers trying to help their students. And you've got your Facebook and all your social media pages where everybody can gather together and find that community and know that they're not alone. So and we also you. have, just to say, we also yeah. have a, um, a Facebook group for sensory parenting. So I started that because I felt like I had a lot to share and I want, and then you said it perfectly. It, there's a feeling of um, feeling alone. Um, because not everyone can understand what this life looks like and how, you know, how much energy you have to put in and how you worry and how many fears you might, you know, there's so much. Um, so I started that group and it's a lovely little group of parents, um, all about sensory parenting and that's awesome. So what are they going to find when they head over to funsensoryplay.com? Um, a variety of stuff. I guess the blog, um, the blog has some activities, um, on there. I enjoy sharing a lot of, um, different activities on the Facebook page as well. And then you also have, so the reason, one of the reasons why I decided to launch this page is because I also was working on sensory path um, decals. So they are floor stickers, um, that I wanted for my daughter because she had mobility issues. And I'm like, she loves the alphabet and she loves numbers. So I'm going to create something that she can actually walk on and then maybe hop and maybe, you know, stump and whatever it can help her, you know, so they can find that on my website. Um, it's been amazing. Some parents, it always touches my heart to see how some kids actually use this for their therapy at home. Some kids have been able, you know, there's one mom in particular that shared the video with me and she's like, look, he can now jump, you know, because he's been practicing so much. And we've also launched some sensory boxes which are very popular and uh, we keep creating new designs and people are loving it too. So these are for kids from three and up and we might be working on one for adults actually, because we enjoy it as well. Right. So, and some parents have asked, you know, could this be used for adults too? And I was like, well, we could probably source one that's maybe a more appropriate for <laughs> the older kids. Right. Sure. Sure. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing your heart with us and your story. Um, everybody needs to go follow you. If you have any desire to help these children through any of their sensory concerns or, you know, watch out for some developmental delays, go follow Chantel and she's going to help you over at funsensoryplay.com. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Preschool All-Stars podcast. 
If you want to learn more about how you can create your own successful preschool so you can stay home with your kids, create a consistent income, and make a difference in children's lives, then be sure to head over to joyanderson.com to pick up your free copy of my book, Start Your Preschool. It has over 300 pages and teaches you how to create a successful local or online preschool. The book is free. All that I ask is you help cover the cost of shipping. Again, go to joyanderson.com to get your free copy of my book. Until next time, keep serving, keep teaching, and keep growing. We'll talk to you soon.